to another episode of the Mobile Word Podcast. My name is Pastor Nathan Pagard, and I'm grateful that you could join me today, and I'm looking forward to walking through the Word with you. The passage that we're going to use for our Bible study today in this episode is Acts chapter 8, so that's the book of Acts chapter 8, and we'll focus on verses 26 to verse 40. So I'll be reading out of the NIV, the New International Version, but if you have a different version that's more comfortable for you, go ahead and pause the podcast and read Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40 on your own to get the context, and then you can uh, rejoin the podcast and press play as I'll read from the NIV. Or you can hear from the NIV first and then read your own. So I'll go ahead and read Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, then I'll pray, and then we can discuss the, uh, the passage. Okay, so this is Acts eight twenty-six to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this scripture. Thank you that uh, you have guided this episode to Acts 8, 26-40. We know that your word is truth, and we need truth. In our life, uh, in our our current situations and challenges, we need your direction and truth. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you join us in this podcast, join this this, uh, pursuit of truth in this scripture. Help us to see truth, help us to see the the relevant lesson and relevant teaching uh, that is directly uh, prepared for us in our situations, and help us to have a clear direction and a clear way to apply what we are discussing and learning through this passage. So Father, thank you that we can join with you in fellowship through your word and with the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to gain a better understanding of who you are and a clear picture of where we are and what our purpose is right now. So Lord, bless this podcast and bless our our pursuit of truth in this scripture. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this is a very famous, famous story. Um, Acts is a great uh, book of stories. Um, when I was starting to read my Bible 
uh, for the first time. Uh, there's a lot of, of the Bible to take in. There's a lot of, of uh, different tones, different messages, um, different styles. And as a newcomer to the Bible, I took to the parts of the Bible that read more as a story. Uh, they had a little bit more of a story arc. Uh, you could say they were more action-packed. Um, reading parts of Genesis came easier. You know, there was a story element to it. Re- reading the Exodus came easier. There was a story element. Um, reading the Gospels, uh, there was a story element. Other books, uh, the prophets, that was the challenge. Um, even Psalms, there's so much uh, so much there. There's so many kind of uh, gems there as far as encouragement or or scriptures that you can empathize with in your suffering, your challenges, but there's just so many of them. So even reading through Psalms, they just, at a certain point, they all started to kind of bleed together. They all started to kind of sound like each other. Um, but there are certain books of the Bible that, uh, as a newcomer to the Word, they just read easier. Uh, they were easier for me to follow. Uh, they were easier for me to, to track the characters um, and what's great about these these parts of the Bible is that they're not just stories; they're they're accounts. You know, they're they're commenting and taking you through the actual events that happened. And Acts was one of those books for me. Uh, you know, when you when you finish the Gospels, when you finish uh, John, and you know the the disciples are left, um, and Jesus leaves, and you're kind of left hanging, and Acts picks it up. You know, and Acts kind of shows you what happens next, and it's it's a great book if you're if you're looking to to know more about what the early church did, uh, what the disciples did after they were sent out with the great commission that you have in Matthew 28. Uh, Acts is is that's where you get that that picture. That's where you follow the story. Uh, this is what happens after they experienced the three year ministry of Jesus and his uh, and his ascension. Now you see where they where they pick things up and where they go with it, and it's fascinating. You see this group of a small group of men and women um, start to multiply dramatically uh, in a short period of time. And uh, one thing that that this passage touches on, and it's one thing that is so prevalent in the entire book of Acts, is uh, how little they had. Um, and that could be how little experience they had or how little resources they had, but how, how, how comprehensive their transformation was, not just in their own group, but in the society, in culture, in foreign countries. Uh, you can see the, the spirit of Christ just spreading. And it breaks through a lot of boundaries that sometimes even today in ministry or when we look at the church or when we look at our own lives as Christians, sometimes we see these barriers and we think it's it's unlikely or it's impossible for us to go past those barriers because of who we are, because of the resources or lack of resources we have. And Acts uh, kind of carries on the torch from the Gospels, uh, carrying forth a truth that all you need are some very simple truths and simple things uh, to be used by God. And Philip and the Ethiopian, this famous story, uh, in the book of Acts um, is is a great example of the simplicity of not just the gospel, but the simplicity of applying the gospel to your life to experience true transformation, uh, true liberation, um, and true understanding and true power uh, in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. So 
this is a great, uh, if you haven't read the entire book of Acts, I really recommend that you, that you uh, take this section of, of chapter 8 and then apply it to the entire context. You know, go back and, and read from the beginning of Acts, and uh, uh, I think that would, would edify not only your understanding, but your faith too, to, to be able to observe these, these men and women that um, had so little uh, but did so much. And it really, for me, is a great reset point um, in, in ministry and, and uh, not even just in ministry, uh, but even just walking with Christ. Uh, we can tend to fall into the trap of believing that we need more things or there's a certain structure that we have to abide by or there's a certain um, pattern that we have to follow uh, because of our surroundings or the people around us and their opinions and and a new theory of, of ministry and evangelism or a new uh, approach and uh, acts just blows all of those things out of the water and just reminds us that you only need a few things and and they're very simple but they're very powerful and uh, it helps me personally to reset to things that are the necessities things that are important uh, things that are the priorities when I when I try and understand who am I as a Christian who am I as a disciple of Jesus and what is my job what is my uh, what is my role as a Christian in this world and Philip uh, represents that uh, perfectly for us uh, in in this passage and in the book of Acts um, and as as role models that we can look look to in the word so there's a few things uh, obviously the 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 main uh, the, the main thing that's happening the event is Philip is told uh, by the Lord to to take a certain route um, to go south in verse 26 to go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza so he starts out, he goes, goes down this road, and uh, he meets this Ethiopian eunuch. So a servant, a government official uh, in uh, kind of in, in the, the whole um, kind of entourage and in the system of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And he's going down to, to Jerusalem to worship, but he's, he's, he's unsure. You know, something is drawing him down to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, but he he don't, he hasn't totally identified uh, with with his role in the Jewish faith, but he's going down to worship. You know, you could take this as someone who is interested in Christianity or has certain views about the benefits of of associating themselves with Christianity or with the church. But there is is there's lacking a deeper understanding of what that means to them or what the whole thing means. You know. Uh, you could take this Ethiopian eunuch and kind of apply it to these days as someone who's, who is more nominal, someone who goes to church, knows that there's a reason that they should go to church, doesn't totally get it, uh, doesn't totally understand the implications on their own life, but they go. Uh, and and speaking spiritually or speaking through the lens of Christ and the Holy Spirit, I believe that's the Lord drawing them to himself. Uh, they're their kind of inexplainable interest or desire, um, although it might be, you know, uh, legalistic or pharisaical. They might think that if I go to church, God will bless me. I believe God can use that um, tremendously to draw someone near to him to actually hear the truth, which is not legalism or uh, works-based faith, but that he can draw them in through that 
and then show them the truth of grace and the gospel and uh, and Christ's works above our own. So this Ethiopian eunuch down to Jerusalem to worship, and he's reading out of the book of Isaiah. Now the, the passage in verse 32 and 33 is taken from Isaiah 53. So if you're interested to read more about what the eunuch was reading, Isaiah 53 is where you're going to want to go. So you can pause the podcast here and read it or read it after we finish. But that is the the chapter. It's in the NIV. It's the subtitle of the, the suffering servant. It is so specific um, about a, a Savior, a Messiah that is going to suffer, not be brought in with glory and, and you know warfare and conquering kingdoms, but a Messiah that will free uh, salvation through his death, through his sacrifice and his suffering. So Isaiah 53 is where he's reading, and the question that the eunuch uh, uh, asks Philip is, is who is who is this talking about? Who is the who is the primary you know, figure in this suffering servant? Who is the who is the focal point? Is it Isaiah? Is it someone else? So, what you have here is not just someone who's going and going through the motions. You know, you have a lot of people that go to church and just go through the motions without any thought about what does it mean. Uh, no, no real thought or care about. Um, you know, what if I'm I'm not understanding? They just go and they check it off, and that's that's a different issue. That's a different discussion. But there's something clearly uh, drawing this eunuch to know what the truth is behind this scripture, behind his his uh, his participation uh, in in the Jewish worship down in Jerusalem. There's something inside him. The Spirit is moving him to want to know more, and and God has drawn Philip to that place where He is going to provide uh, the answer to those questions. So um, Philip is directed down by the Lord. Uh, not his original plan, but it's where God is directing him. He obeys, and there's clearly a purpose, and he meets the eunuch uh, on the road. So what happens here, to me, that, that that's so uh, important for us to see, and so important, so relevant for us, one is that Philip obeys. So we might have a plan of where we're, we're planning on going, where we think we should minister, where we think we should work, whatever it is, we have our plans. But uh, God clearly had a purpose for Philip, and Philip knew the voice of the Lord, just like Jesus says that the sheep know his voice. You know, you know when you're hearing from the Lord that you're you're being told to go left and not right, and Philip responds. Philip responds to that, so that's obviously a lesson. Um, and then he, he goes and he waits, he obeys. He doesn't just go uh, and uh, kind of um, slam himself into the life of this eunuch and tell him, you've got to believe this, and you've got to do this. Um, what you see in verse 30 is a little different. It says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So first thing that I think is is very important for us is that when you're going out to share the word, or when God is drawing you to someone where you are there to share the word or to preach the gospel, the first thing you do is listen. The first thing you do is Listen. To me, that is so important. You know, I have I have been blessed with a lot of opportunities to share the gospel with people. And one thing that I've found in doing that is that the first thing I have to do is hear where they're coming from. I have to hear what they know. I have to hear how they're feeling. You know, what's in their mind when they're when they're thinking about Christianity? What's in their mind when they're they're going to church every Sunday or they go to church on Easter or on Christmas? It's about them. 
you know, when, when someone goes to the doctor, when someone goes to, to get help, the person helping has to find out first what's wrong. That's just common sense. You know, that's not something, it's a, it's a new idea that I have. That, that's something that's very practical um, and, and very logical, that if someone's coming to you and says, I need help, the next logical question is, what's wrong? So if we're, if we're being sent by the Lord to help heal the sick, to mend what's broken, to free the captives, to restore sight to the blind, all those things through our witness and our testimony, first we have to get to know the people. We have to know them. Because if you assume, if you presume in your mind, this is what I've got to do, this is my spiel, I've, I've been taught this in my discipleship training course, that you ask this question, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And then it just works. You know, if I follow steps one, two, three, four, and five, it will obviously end in having someone recite the sinner's prayer, and then we baptize them, and then they're good to go. Not everyone's the same. Not everyone has the same background. Not everyone has the same experience with God. Not everyone has the same approach to God. Everyone is is uniquely different. And as someone carrying the gospel to those people, first you have to listen. I think Christians often get in so many problems when they're not willing to listen. They just talk, talk, and talk, and they throw scripture and opinion and testimony at someone that sincerely needs help and sincerely is admitting that they would like to know. But by the time they're done with that barrage, that presentation, sometimes the grandstanding of a Christian that either has been told, this is what you do, or they're just so confident in what they know that it no longer becomes about loving your neighbor. It's all about you. It's all about you being in the role of the evangelist. And that's not what you see with Philip. Philip says, do you understand what you are reading after he listens? So that might, be, that might seem really subtle to, to people that I, would, that I would pick that first sentence and make such a big deal. But I think that is such a crucial component of evangelizing is first you have to listen. And not listening already with the plan in your mind of, okay, I I learned that the first thing I need to do is listen, but then I'll carry through with the thing that I'm going to do. No, when you're listening, that might totally change what you thought was going to be the approach with that individual. You might go into the, 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 the discussion with the person or the conversation or the first meeting thinking, well, they're, they're, they, they've said this and they do this, so I'm sure I can just do this, 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 this. You might talk to them and listen to them and hear new things that totally alter your approach. And they have to alter your approach. So it's not, okay, I'll listen and then I preach, or I listen and then I share the gospel. You listen and then you still trust the Lord. You're still following the Lord. You know, the Lord, the Spirit of Christ was with Philip the entire time. It's not that he just heard him at the beginning and said, okay, I'll go south. I'll go south on the desert road. God is guiding him the entire time. We know that because the only way that someone can be drawn to Christ is through the Spirit. That's what Jesus tells Peter. And we know that the Spirit cannot be translated to someone, or the words cannot be translated to someone without the Spirit. 
And we know that we cannot have the words necessary to preach the truth without the Holy Spirit leading us and giving us words. So knowing that to understand you need the Spirit, to be drawn to that moment to teach, you have to be led by the Spirit to be able to speak the truth and get through to somebody that they can understand truth requires the Spirit. God is leading this entire encounter. And we lose track of that. We say, okay, God, tell me where to go. And then you start designing your plan. That's not walking with Christ. That's you took a step with Christ, and then you sprinted ahead. And how do you know where you're going to go? You don't know that person. You might think you do. And you might have good grounds to make the argument, no, I know them. But you don't know them like God knows them. There might be certain things that even though you're close to that person, they have not felt comfortable to share with you because it is so deep. But God knows those depths. God knows who they are and what they need. And only by following the Lord throughout the encounter, throughout the entire conversation, meeting, relationship, will you be able to be effective for the kingdom with that person. That's the only way. You have to be constantly led by the hand. You know, you are not the leader. Christ is leading you through that encounter so that he can speak to them through you. You are an open vessel. And that's what Philip's doing. So he went up with urgency and he heard, he listened. So the first thing we get is you listen. And then the next thing is, do you understand what you're reading? So it's focused on the word. It's focused on the scriptures. And the eunuch says, how can I understand? How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So there's an opening, but it's focused on scripture. It's focused on what is God saying? You know, I understand that the Bible can be manipulated to be a, a, a cornerstone of a legalistic approach to Christianity where people just focus on the Bible. Everything is about the Bible, and there's no fellowship. There's no joy. It's just you got to read the Bible. You know, sin takes a good thing and makes it an ultimate thing. And yes, the Bible can be sinned over, sinned with. But the only way you can know what the Lord is saying is if you're hearing what he is saying. And for us, that's through the scripture. And it's not just reading the Bible. It's not just understanding all the symbolism of the Old Testament. It's not about just understanding all the secrets and all the connections and all the hidden meanings and all the number number meanings and all the symbolism and, and all the secrets of the Bible. It's not about that at all. It's not. So many people get trapped into focusing on those details and they miss the entire thing. And we can, we can learn a great lesson from Philip. God already drew that person, that eunuch, to be reading Isaiah 53 and that is the center Ironically, it's I think it's the center of my Bible. I don't know, you should flip in your Bible and see where it lands, but it's almost like the central scripture. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, that is the center. It's like the binding in a book. That's what holds the entire scriptures together. What does it do for you if you know all the symbols of the Old Testament, all the hidden meanings, and you don't understand the cornerstone of Christ? that you don't understand the root of Jesus, the vine, 
the thing that holds it together. So Philip doesn't draw him down this rabbit trail of all these other things. God already presented Isaiah 53 to the eunuch, and Philip just needed to testify about who that's talking about, and that's Jesus. So Philip makes it about Jesus, but God already was making it about Jesus. He was giving Philip, it's like a a volleyball bump set and spike. You know, he already set it up. He got him reading Isaiah 53. But that's 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 a lesson for us. When we're reading our scriptures, when we're reading the Bible, we have to be looking at it through the lens of Christ. Because that is the purpose of the Bible. There is no other purpose for reading the Bible except to draw you to Jesus. I'll repeat that again. There is no purpose of the Bible, none whatsoever, except to draw you closer to Jesus. That is the purpose of every single book in the Bible. That is the purpose of every figure in the Bible that you read. Everything you read in your Bible should draw you to Jesus. And that does not mean that when you read any verse, it talks about Jesus directly or it mentions the name of Jesus or that we have to somehow connect it to Jesus. But in the context, a verse to a chapter or a chapter to a book or the book through a section of the Bible or a section of the Bible to the whole scriptures, it should fold out into Jesus. It's kind of like unfolding a map. If you have one of those car maps, I know they're getting less and less uh, practical um, these days with the Google Maps and everything. But if you if you can envision those old foldable maps and you look at the cover, you know, it starts with this kind of long rectangle shape and you look at the cover and it says, you know, Italy. And then you got to unfold it and you unfold it one time. You have not seen Italy yet. Then you unfold it again. Still no Italy. Unfold it, unfold it, unfold it, and you get all the way unfolded, and then you can see the entire country of Italy. However, each fold revealed the same thing. Each fold was revealing Italy, but just not in the entire, you know, context of the entire country, not in the entire picture of the entire country. So when you open up Jeremiah 8, you know, I invite some of you to just do that. That's just a random number. Open up Jeremiah 8. Open up Isaiah 12. Open up Psalm 21. Open up Matthew 9. Open up Genesis 16. Just open up these chapters. And maybe, maybe it's just the first fold. Maybe it's just one fold where you can see Naples. So you think, okay, I I know it's Italy. I I haven't seen the whole thing, but I I know that that's a, a city in Italy. Or maybe you'll open it up and you're opening it up to six folds out. And you can say, I can see the entire region of Tuscany. Or I can see the entire uh, Cinque Terre. I can see the entire Amalfi Coast. I can see the Italian Alps. Maybe it's a bigger fold. Maybe you open it up and it just directly talks about it. Because there are those chapters, there are those parts of the Bible where, like Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, you have unfolded the entire map 
in one chapter in the middle of the Bible outside of the Gospels. You've unfolded the entire map that shows, without question, the glory of Jesus Christ, not God, not the Creator, not a, a supreme being, but Jesus the Christ. That's what Isaiah 53 reveals. So first, when you're evangelizing, when you're being drawn by God, so first, we can go before that, you have to wait for the Lord to direct you. Then, if the Lord is directing you to someone, what do you do first? The first thing you do is you listen to them, because this is about them and the Lord. This is not about your role. This is not about your accomplishments. This is not about your experience or what you know. This is about them and the Lord. Your purpose in that moment is to connect them with the Lord. So you have to listen so that the Lord can direct you how to best assist and help that person with Scripture. The next thing is you have to draw them to the Scripture, but not only to Scripture, not through a wild goose chase through Scripture and symbols and hidden meanings, but you have to unfold the map of Scripture to reveal Jesus Christ. And not only Jesus Christ in one aspect, but Jesus Christ in his entirety, including his death for us, paying for our sins, his sacrifice that was the ultimate sacrifice we could not offer to God, but that paid for our sins completely and forgave us completely, and then his resurrection that gives us hope and gives us the assurance that our life can change, and not only can change, but must change if we have Christ in us in our spirit. Because a life feeding sin is incompatible with a life walking with Christ. That is what you unfold to the person. And remember, Philip is not some Bible scholar. He's not a seminary graduate student. He's not a pastor in the church. At this point, I mean, we look back in history and he is a, you know, he's like a, like a superhero name in the Christian faith. However, at this point, he's just a young guy. He's a young guy that knew Jesus personally and is talking about what he saw. So when you're sharing, when you're sharing about Christ, you're not there to put on a show and talk about things you don't know personally. You might think your testimony doesn't have power. You might think your testimony is weak compared to some other people's testimonies. You might wish that you had more pizzazz and more fireworks in your testimony. You might think that yours is too simple. But that's what your testimony is. Your testimony is yours. And you won't accomplish anything by lying through your testimony and acting like you've seen things that you haven't actually seen and speaking upon things that you have not spoken about or heard or seen. Philip just shares what he saw. Philip shares the good news about Jesus. All those times, all those evenings walking with Jesus, the times they slept next to him when they woke up and he was praying, seeing him heal people, hearing what he said. You know, we don't know what this, this conversation held. We know that very shortly after this, you know, this exchange about Isaiah 53, suddenly the eunuch is talking about baptism. So clearly Philip is telling him a lot more than what we have in these three, four verses starting in 34. 
But Jesus told him what he knew, what he saw. You know, if you haven't experienced a certain thing, if you haven't seen a certain thing, don't talk about it. Don't act like you've known it. Don't act like you understand it. A genuine and sincere testimony with a lot of doubts and questions is more powerful than a disingenuous and, an, and, and a, a fake testimony that claims to know everything. So Philip shares what he saw, and he saw Jesus. That was his message. That was his testimony. But all this, remember, all this is being done just with a conversation. This is not being done through some training course. This is not being done through through some leadership program or some retreat. This is a guy that God is drawing to himself, planting Isaiah 53 in his, in, in his path, in front of his eyes, and then a guy that's responding to, to the, the Spirit of Christ, saying, go and wait orders. And that's an obedient man going and saying, okay, what next? He listens to him, he talks to him, and he shares Jesus through the Scripture with him. That's all that's happening. But because the Spirit of Christ is with him throughout there's power and there's understanding where there has been confusion. And then it says in verse 37, 38, it says that they saw some water. Stops the chariot. Verse 38, then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him. I've seen in, in Christian churches and in ministries where people are pushed into baptism or people follow a wave into baptism because other people are doing it, because they feel pressure to do it. And part of my heart, and it's something that God has to correct and something I have to repent for, is my, 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 my go-to thought when I see that this one church baptized 320 people one day and this one church baptized 108 people on this day, my, my first thought is I wonder how many of them really understand Jesus and how many just went because they felt pressured or because they felt like that was what you're supposed to do. As Christians, as someone called to share the gospel to someone, we have to constantly pray for discernment from the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus that is wisdom, we have to pray and say, God, what do we do next? This is never about what we think should happen. This is never about what we think we want to happen. This is never about a scorecard where we want to say, I really want to see someone baptized. This is my chance. This is my moment. It's never about you. You might be the final link in a chain of 80 links that took years. And God might be telling you, just baptize them. You know, we had a baptism in my house church where we just did it in a little kiddie pool in the living room. That's as legit of a baptism as one at a mega church, as one in the ocean. It's not about where it is or how it's happening. It's what's happening inside that person and how the person that is leading that person to Christ is being told and directed by the Lord in the spirit of Jesus to continue. And if Jesus is telling you through the Spirit, it's okay. Baptize them now. doesn't matter what you have. We have to be ready to go. We have to trust that. 
But we have to know that that's coming from the Lord and that's not out of our ambition or our desires. And if God is saying, don't go yet, it's not time yet, no matter how badly we want that moment to line up with our schedule that our church is having baptism Sunday in two weeks and it's got to be ready in two weeks or else we're going to miss our window. If God is saying at that Sunday morning, no, doesn't matter if that means that you have no one to baptize on baptism Sunday. It doesn't matter. He says no, that means it's not time and you wait. Philip was being told, do it now. And he was obedient and he did it. And you saw what happened. Verse 40, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Philip gets sent off to a new mission. But in 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. That person, the eunuch, his life is free. We don't know what happened to him. You know, but he went off rejoicing. He was free. What happens when someone is rushed into baptism or they're not ready is that later on, they're still imprisoned. They're still bound. There's no joy there. There's no freedom there. And actually, when they confront their own heart and their their own understanding and beliefs, you've planted a seed that can potentially grow into resentment and anger that they were pushed into baptism or that someone did it without knowing for sure if they understood or they believed. There's so much responsibility on the part of Philip, on the part of me, on the part of all of you, if God is directing you to represent him, be an ambassador of Christ, and to share the gospel. We have to be obedient, whether he says, now go, or when he says, now stay and wait. So what you have through this entire exchange, this entire meeting and encounter, is Philip following the Lord throughout, He's obedient to the spirit. He listens to the person. He gets to know him. Then when he speaks, he doesn't speak about things that are about all sorts of other topics and all sorts of other experiences he had. He directs him to Jesus because he knows that's the only cure. That's the only answer. That's the only key to unlock understanding of who this suffering servant is. And understanding that Jesus is the suffering servant opens up your entire life. And once that is understood, not Philip. Philip doesn't say, I think you're ready to be baptized. For all we know, Philip is still waiting. And God speaks to the eunuch. And the eunuch says, why shouldn't I be baptized? Look, there's water there. And then Philip gets word from the Lord. Okay, go. So he goes and he baptizes him. And there's a new life. There's joy. There's rejoicing. But you have to follow the Lord when he says, go. Follow him when he says stay. You have to listen to people. Get to know them. Ask the Lord what your role is. Direct them to Jesus in scripture where there's no doubt about opinion and and experience, but it's written clearly in the scripture. The voice of God speaking to that person, seeking healing, seeking a relationship with them. And then not being bogged down in systems that If we really want them to get baptized because our church has a schedule and they're not ready, we just go. Or if we think, gosh, I shouldn't be able to baptize this person. I haven't gone through the proper channel. If God is directing you, then obey. And if he says, baptize this person, do it. But that has to be from the Lord. 
has to be. It can't be out of your own ambition or your own desires or understanding. It has to be from the Lord. What an amazing gift it is to follow the Lord through that process where you bring someone into relationship with Jesus and they run off rejoicing. I mean, that is the that is the prayer for everybody you talk to. You pray that someone get to that point where they know Jesus and it is like a rejoicing they've never experienced before. But we've got to follow step by step, following the Lord. Not systems, not programs, but following the Lord and knowing that what we need is just an experience with Jesus that affirms that we just need to listen to the Lord, an openness and an obedience to follow the Lord where he goes, and then the scripture. That's all you need. You have to encounter Jesus first, like Philip. Then you will have the the wisdom to know that only listening to God will result in any fruit in your life. And then when he says go, you go, no matter where it is, whether it's your plan or not, and then you just bring your scripture with you, bring the Bible with you, show them, show them in scripture, Jesus, unfold the map. And then if they're ready, and if God is telling you, baptize them, start this new chapter, witness this new birth, then do it. That's all you need, an experience with Jesus, an attentiveness and wisdom to know that you need to listen to God no matter what. Show them the Bible. Go through it with them. And then start the new life if God is, is, is leading you to do that with them. The gospel is so simple and we complicate it. Practicing Christianity is complicated in this world, but what we need is very simple. We need to know Jesus. We need to have the scriptures and the Bible. We need to have his leading the entire way. And when we follow him that entire way through that process of simplicity, there will be fruit. Guaranteed, there will be fruit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that what we have from you is simple. I thank you that all we need is an experience with your son Jesus personally. All we need is your Bible, the scriptures, your word, showing us where to go, showing us how we should behave, leading us where we should go, hearing your voice, getting to know you personally. I thank you that we can lead people to you. I thank you that we have that gift and responsibility. But help us to respect you in that process. Help us to keep you as the authority and not to presume anything, not to go forward on our own assumptions. Lord, lead us and guide us. Help us to follow you so that we can bring people to know you so that their lives are set free from sin and they can die to sin and be alive in Christ. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, that was a little longer than we usually like to go, so I apologize for, for going a little long, but uh, but thank you for, for listening. It was it was great to talk through this, this chapter with you, um, but we'll leave it there for this week's episode of the Mobile Word Podcast. Um, but again, thank you for tuning in, and remember to send me your thoughts, questions, comments, or scriptures. Uh, if you have any questions or anything, our, our email is mobilewordministry at gmail.com, uh, so feel free to send us your thoughts or anything that's on your mind or what you'd like discussed on the podcast. But until next time, enjoy the word and God bless.